Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Those of you who are still looking down at the text and trying to find the words, and this is the key, it's not there. That was, a, that was an addendum. Thank you. Good job. Good reading. Some guys you don't want to make mad, he'd be one of the guys, no, you get it's a scoop, way to go. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Pearl Harbor. Um, it tells of some events leading up to December the 7th of 1941. And uh, as you remember, that's when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Winston Churchill had been doing everything he could to try to get Franklin Roosevelt and America involved in this conflict, and, there's, and we just wouldn't do it. That day, we did it. We said, if they're that bold to attack us on American territory, then we will retaliate. And it was a major turning point of the war, but a tough day that was. But this, this movie is the fictional lives of two fighter pilots, Roth and Danny. And they'd been inseparable, for, inseparable friends since childhood, and they were stationed there at Pearl Harbor. So following the attack at Pearl Harbor, this guy, Ralph, who's played by Ben Affleck in the movie, and, and Danny, who's played by Josh Harnett, are called into Colonel Jimmy Doolittle's office. And they had been pretty successful as pilots. They had downed seven Japanese planes. And so Doolittle asked them in, and recognizing there are better pilots, but right now they're dead. And we're down to these two guys, and I need to ask you, are you willing to do something? So this is how that meeting went. You've both been awarded the Silver Star, says Doodle to Rolf and Danny. You're just about the only pilots with combat experience right now. So I need you for a mission that I've ordered, been ordered to put together. So Ralph and Danny are kind of looking at each other thinking, whoa, what's about ready to happen? He says, do you know what top secret is? Doodle asks. And Ralph responds, yes, sir. You get medals, but they send them to your relatives. Ignoring the remark, Doodle continues. He said, top secret means you train for something never before done in aviation history. And you go without knowing where you're going. You do it on that basis, or you don't do it at all. So he says, I got a top secret mission for you two. Are you in? And they decided, yeah, we're in. Now, by the way, that was a very consequential decision, because what happens at that point is they attack Japan by air. Very bold, didn't know if it would work out. Actually, they were kind of certain it wouldn't work out, but they knew they had to try. It was successful, and it definitely did impact the course of the war. But I want you all to know, when God calls you, that's the way he's going to call. He is not going to say, hey, if you come my direction, you're going to get a great pension, a fat IRA, your every need's going to be taken care of, everything's going to be hunky-dory if you just answer my call. Now, by the way, that might happen if you answer his call. I'm not going to say it won't happen that way. What I am willing to say is, much of the time in Christian history and in biblical history, all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis 12, have no idea what's about ready to happen. God just says, I need you for this. 
Now, here's what's interesting. I've often wondered. I don't hear anybody else wondering it, so probably it's a bad wonder. But I've often wondered, how many people did God ask before this guy, uh, Doug, this nutcase, said yes? I'll sign on. I'll do whatever you want me to do. By the way, I, I saw something interesting the other day. In the Midrash, if you remember, we were talking about the Midrash in, at Wednesday night at Dayspring University not long ago. There was a teaching that's ancient Jewish teaching that may or may not be right. And sometimes you can say, boy, that, that has the ring of truth to it. And sometimes it just doesn't have the ring of truth to it. Here's one that doesn't, but I like the story anyway. And that is God took the law and he said, hey, who's willing to obey this law? And he took it to the 70 nations, the 70 people groups, the 70 languages and said, anybody in? And they all read the law and they said, nope, we're not in. There's, by the way, if you've ever read the law, you would know there's, there's some good reasons not to want to be in on some of that stuff. Some of those laws, have you read through Leviticus? You look at this stuff and you think, what is this? Are you kidding me? And so the nations just one by one said, nope, 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 nope. I don't think so. Not in a million years. Maybe, but they just said no. And so God takes it to Israel. And Israel said, all that Yahweh says to do, we will do. Do you want to read it first? They said, no. And he said, no, 613 of these things, 613 laws, some of them are kind of crazy. Some of them you won't want to obey. Some of them will be hard to obey. Some you're going to need the Holy Spirit of God to obey. And they said, we're in. Whatever. We just will tell you all that the Lord has said we will do. And they cited Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6, to say, there it is. That's our heritage. That's what we do. Now, this is what the Lord says to Abram. It's my initiative, not yours, Abram. This is not your good idea. Abram, in all likelihood, is worshiping the moon god. And the Lord budges in and says, Quit putting your attention on the moon God and listen to me. Because I will show you, I will make you, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now let me remind you here what's happened before this. In chapters 1 to 11... We've got a real mess. First off, as well you know, Adam and Eve disobey God. From there, Cain kills Abel. The wickedness keeps building. It gets so bad that God sends a flood to wipe out mankind. He saves very few. Then all of humanity builds itself back up. They get a number of people going, and they try to save themselves by building a great city and a great tower, the Tower of Babel. That's in Genesis 11. And God brings confusion to them. That's not what he wants them to do is to hunker down in one place. He says, no, that's not my will for your life. And he scatters out all humanity. Point is, if you're a biblical scholar, you will recognize that from Genesis 1 to 11, there's a big problem here. And from Genesis 12 to the end of Revelation is the solution. Problem, solution. And where does the solution begin? 
with God's conversation with a man named Abram. People do terrible things. When we do, God justifiably reacts as punishment. Banished from the garden, earth destroyed, scattering of mankind. But then God, through just 11 chapters of the Bible, shows big problem, and he gets all proactive. He says, I have radical initiative. I'm going to save the world through one couple and their family. Let's get moving. Gary Hagen. I swear I'm going to go. I keep reading stuff about this guy. I've never gotten any of his books, but I'm thinking, man, I got to read this guy. Some of my best stuff comes from Gary Hogan. I've never read a book of his. Always see it somewhere else. He's the uh, CEO of International Justice Mission. And basically what they do is they fight sex trafficking. And apparently an incredible speaker, incredible writer. He says, you know, we have a problem the way we raise our kids. He says, after we poured into our kids all the good food and all the shelter and all the clothing, after we provided them with a great education, we give them good discipline, we give them structure, we give them love. After we work so hard to provide every good thing, they turn and they ask, why have you given me all this, this incredibly privileged lifestyle? And the honest answer from me, says Gary Hagen, and I think most of us would admit, probably me too, is so you'll be safe. Hawkins says, my kid looks up to me. He says, really? That's it? You've given me all this stuff so I can be safe? Your grand ambition for my life is that nothing bad happens? And Hawkins says, something in them dies at that point. They either go away or perish in safety, or they go away looking for adventure in all the wrong places. Hagen says, Jesus affirms our sense of adventure if we will look to him. He gives us a larger glory, but everybody here needs to know it may well be dangerous. But I'm going to tell you something, y'all. I think it's important that we all recognize that when we choose safety, there's incredible danger in that too. Now, let me tell you. So Gary Hogg, it just came to my mind. This isn't in the notes or anything. I just remember. Gary Hogg says this. Anybody here live on a cul-de-sac? By the way, anybody here do? I, I would like to live on a cul-de-sac. Yeah. Good. Good. Two of us. Well, way to go, guys. He says, remember cul-de-sacs. Cul-de-sacs are, are, are made just as kind of school. First off, they were designed to get these kids, these families away from the traffic out here. Because traffic's dangerous, man. Traffic's dangerous. You get killed with traffic. And by the way, I've lived in Jackson, Mississippi long enough to know, yep, you sure can. <laughs> Even for me, yellow doesn't mean yellow. You know, yellow means step on it. That's my friend... Anybody remember Bill Doonan? He said, my dad always taught me <laughs> that yellow meant step on it, let alone red. Oh, my goodness. Listen, if you're going across in green, just make sure you look both ways in this metro area, both ways. Then go across as fast as you can to get out of the way. 
So Gary Hawkins said, hey, traffic's dangerous. And so what they did was they established cul-de-sacs. Cul-de-sacs is a nice little circle away from the traffic. But then they did data on the cul-de-sacs. And you know what they found out? More deaths happen in cul-de-sacs than happen out there if you had a house on the highway. Why? Because people put it in reverse and leave their houses and hit kids. Kids are out there. Kids are safe. Kids are having a good time. What do we find out? They die more in cul-de-sacs. They die more from people trying to get safe and get away from the danger than if they were on the danger. I just find that fascinating. And the same way goes with the call of God. Your call is not safety. Your call is not prosperity. Your goal is not the easy life. Your goal is not the fat pension. Your goal isn't to say, hey, I want everybody around me when I die singing all hail the power of Jesus' name. Your goal is that your kids might answer the call of Almighty God and to go to any one of these nations and to go into the inner city to run to the sound of the pain wherever the pain is. But they're going to have to be nutcases to do it. And nutcase kids typically come from nutcase parents. Now, when I say nutcase, that's the highest thing we can say of a person in this place. You're crazy. Remember crazy? Looked it up one day. Went to my dictionary. You know, in our seminary, we got a big old fat dictionary like this. They're only in libraries. Nobody ever looks anything up into them. Too, Too big. But you remember a book I'm talking about, right? So I thought, huh. I'm going to go look up the word crazy. I have no idea why I'm looking up crazy. I have no idea. So I open it up, crazy. And about the eighth definition of crazy is significant deviation from the norm. God, make us crazy. Lord, we want to be holy crazy like you're holy crazy. Like Abraham was holy crazy. Like the great saints talked about in the faith chapter, are holy crazy. Like Mary was holy crazy. Like Jesus was holy crazy. We want to significantly deviate from the norm. Lord, may we not live on the cul-de-sacs. May we live where the pain is, where the trepidation is, where the need is. May our kids hear the call of God, but more important than that, may we hear the call of God on our lives to go where other places other people won't want to go, to do things other people won't want to do, to significantly deviate from what everybody else happens to be doing. The Lord says, I'm going to bless you, Abram, to be a blessing. And from your line will come the Savior of the world. I'll create of you a number of people, and from you and from that people will springboard a movement that will sweep the Roman Empire and then the globe. Now, Abram hears those words. I can't imagine he knew what they meant. He probably died not knowing exactly what they meant. But eventually, Jesus comes through that line and launches a movement from that place in the world, the promised land that actually happened to be occupied by the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus. But nonetheless, from that promised land, God launches a movement. 
because there was one crazy man and his family that said, count us in. Anybody here crazy? Hmm. And so, I love the word election. It doesn't mean scripturally that you are elected and you aren't. There's some people in the world that think that. There's some good Christians that think that. But I would suggest to you that's not what it means. I think when you look at the word, Christopher Wright has it right. He says, election isn't for our individual benefit and salvation. Some people think God elects me so that I can go into heaven so that I won't have to go to hell. Christopher Wright says, no. You're going to go to heaven. You won't go to hell. But that's not the point. Election means that the elect becomes agent of blessing to other people. I elect you so that others can enjoy my salvation, so that others can enjoy heaven on earth, so that others can eventually enjoy heaven for all eternity. But I don't elect you for you. And Christopher Wright says, it's like this. It's as if a group of trapped cave explorers Choose one of their number to squeeze through a narrow flooded passage to get out to the surface and call for help. The point of choosing this person to squeeze through that narrow passage is not so that she alone gets saved, but that she's able to help and bring equipment and to bring other people so that the rest can get rescued. So do you understand election now? He elects you so that you can help others to know salvation. That's why God elected Abram. That's why God elected the nation of Israel. So through them, others might be saved. In other words, you are not sent here for yourselves. You have been sent for other people. You are not elected for yourselves. You've been elected for other people. The world is waiting on you. So, this passage is interesting, no question about it. Let's quickly move on. 1210 and following, if you've got your Bible open still, there's a famine. And I believe, now that God has called Abram, he needs to start teaching him something, needs to start him on a discipleship journey, needs to start discipling Abram. Now, there aren't other people to do at this point. Either God disciples him or nobody's going to disciple him. That's not true with you. God has people in this church and people in the ministry that can help you and want to help you to know more, to do what needs to be done, to give what needs to be given. We can help you with that. But at this point, it's only God and Abram. <clears throat> so he begins an education process. And in 1210, there's a famine. And Abram says, we are in dire straits. We're going to starve staying here. Let's highball it to Egypt. And they do. They're in Egypt now. Now, just so happens that Sarah is a good-looking woman. Beautiful. In fact, so beautiful, when people see her, they apparently notice it. So much so that when one of the most powerful men in the world sees her or gets told about her, he wants her. And that's what happens in this story. Abraham told Sarah, listen, we're about ready to go to Egypt. Everybody's going to see you. Everybody's going to want you. The king's probably going to want you. The emperor's are probably going, so you need to lie about our marriage. We aren't married. You're my sister. Well, 
Sure enough, she gets there, attracts the king's attention, and it's because she's not married, she gets taken away to Pharaoh's harem. In exchange, Pharaoh showers Abraham with wealth. Now, Abraham's made a mistake. God's going to get him through this mistake, but he's made a mistake. And by the way, up to this point, I want you to know, you can say, well, boy, that sounds like sin. And I would suggest you at this point, yeah, well, but he doesn't know the law yet. The law hasn't been given. There is no law that says, thou shalt not lie. There's no law that says, hey, give up your, don't give up your woman to a harem. Now, you ought to know better. And undoubtedly, God, through other dynamics, has shown him some things. But whoever says, man, that's a dumb thing to do. Anybody here done really dumb things before? And we have the law. We have the Bible. We have 66 books. We can read it. We have read it. And we still do dumb things. Abraham had no such advantage as we have. So here we go. The wife is now in a harem. And uh, you can imagine God doesn't like Sarah being in a harem. And so God begins to send great plagues on Pharaoh. Pharaoh gets the message. This Hebrew word that is plague in our Bible can be also translated as sores or wounds. So all of a sudden, it may well be that Pharaoh's people and Pharaoh himself begins showing up with wounds and sores and and ouchies all over his body. And so Pharaoh says, I don't know, none of this happened before she showed up. Get rid of her. (laughs) Now don't think Pharaoh's getting punished here. Don't think that so much as think message. Say that word with me, message. And here's the message. Abram, No matter how powerful the competition is, I'm more powerful than them. David, I read Psalms every day. I read through five Psalms every day. I pray through five Psalms every day. And y'all, this is important to know. Over and over the psalmist, frequently David says, Oh God, I've got enemies, but you're stronger than my enemy. And here is one of the first great things that Abraham... Abraham knows nothing about Yahweh. Abraham knows nothing about... He's heard a call. He's obeyed the call. Now he begins getting an education. So in our sermon series, we're going to be talking about what it is that God reveals to Abram so that Abram can indeed answer fully and completely the call on his life. But the first thing is this. I am more powerful than Pharaoh. Second thing. You can go to chapter 13 here. Talk about brief. We're going to make this real brief. This God that is called you can be trusted. So much so that you don't even have to assert yourself. Even when it's your right to do so, you can be humble. You can have faith. You can have faith in me. And so this is what happens. Lot's family is with Abram. A lot of people wonder, it seems like, Maybe Abram made a mistake there to let Lot come in the first place. That may well be true. But anyway, nephew's Lot is with him. And uh, Lot has kind of his own thing going, and Abram has his own thing going, and they got flocks and herds, and pretty soon both of them are prospering. Flocks and herds, and pretty soon uh, which flock is whose, and my goodness, they're eating our grass, and yada, yada, and pretty soon there's conflict between Abram's family and Lot's family. 
Now, at that point, if you're Abraham, you can say, hey, Lot, remember now, God told me to come. I brought you. Why don't you shag boogie out of here? Instead, he says, let's not have fights between the family. Listen, all kinds of land here. Choose where you want to go, and I'll go the other direction. And Lot says, ooh, I like that land over there. What he chooses for himself is Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't know it at the time. He thought it was going to turn out really great. But what Abram was willing to do at this point was say, let me be humble. Let God take care of this decision. And y'all, it's a beautiful day in a person's life. When you say, God is big. He has just showed me that in the previous story of my life. Now I, can tr- I know I can trust him. Listen, he, he did this thing in Egypt. He put the smack down on one of the most powerful men in the world. I think he's got this one too. Had a situation in my life. I refer too often. But I felt like I was in trouble. I was in trouble at work. Nothing I could do about it. So I just started saying, the John Wesley prayer is going to become my best friend. And I'd get in a fetal position every night. And I'd pray the whole thing through, but then I'd hunker down on two phrases. Put me, Lord, to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. And I said to God, if something bad happens here, I'll just say, I put it in your hands and that's your will. So it's not bad. It's a turn of direction for my life. It's going someplace else. It's doing something other than what I'm doing. I'll just assume it's God. And I'll just say, any other, other people in here that think they're players, they're not players except in your hands, they'll decide what you want them to decide. And so, Lord, I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, you're in charge. I believe you're in charge. By faith, I believe you are in charge. Put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will. Put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will. Put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will. Pray through that prayer for two years. Every time I prayed it, I thought, you know, I might not be here tomorrow. And I thought, but if I'm not, Jesus wants me elsewhere. As it turned out, I'm enjoying better days than ever before. And God is adding blessing to our seminary more than ever before. I'm going to tell you how good it is. A couple of, couple of semester or two ago, it was going so good, we just said, hey, free seminary. Now, y'all know how much seminary costs? It's expensive stuff. It costs you 16, 17, 1800 bucks per class. It's the most humbling thing in my whole life, standing in front of a bunch of people that each one of them paid 1800 bucks for the honor of sitting in front of me and learning from me. 1800 bucks? Are you kidding? Come to my church, you can get it free. 1800 bucks per. It's amazing. Our church said, you know, God's blessed us so much, we're just going to give it away this semester. No 1800 bucks per. Take as many classes you want. You know what he did this semester? <laughs> Gordon Conwell, one of the biggest and greatest seminaries in the world is folding up location and moving to Boston into a much smaller location because they are in free fall. 
Trinity Evangelical Divinity. They are another one of the most greatest seminaries in the world. And they are in free fall. And our president says, you know, we're not in free fall. I don't know why. Maybe we ought to be, but we're not. God is blessing us. You know what? Let's go ahead and reduce by 8% what we're charging for tuition. And everybody's saying, are you gone crazy? Yep. We're not cases. That's what God does when he adds his blessing. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Blessing. 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 If any of you right now are thinking, man, I don't know. I'm just going to tell you, there are many episodes in Abraham's life where he did not know. And yet he says, God has called me. He's teaching me greatness through a family mistake. And now he's affirming humility through this family strife. And I just need to ask you today, how is God discipling you? It may be one of those ways. But I would suggest to you, he wants to do an extraordinary thing in your life. He's probably right now calling you to something greater than what you're currently in. Are you willing? Are you crazy enough? Are you definition number eight enough to say, I'm in? Put me to what you will, Lord. Rank me with whom you will, Lord. I'm ready. And the Lord says, you want to know what is about ready to happen? You say, yeah, I want to know. He said, I ain't going to tell you. <laughs> so don't even ask. But I'm going to tell you. I'd like to tell you it's going to be prosperous and safe and have air conditioning involved. <laughs> but I can't tell you that. All I know is it's the good life. It's the life of abundance. Hmm. Jesus. 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 There are people here today that need to know your election. Not for themselves, but for the many people around them.